Hey everyone, welcome to the Wild and Uncut podcast brought to you by Ruger. I'm your host, Christy Titus. Thank you for tuning in. The line is going hot, so let's go full send on this episode. I haven't found a group or a community of people who are as welcoming as the gun culture crowd is. We're working to teach women how to position themselves to run for office because we need the voices who are in support of the Second Amendment to be everywhere they're not right now. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Wild and Uncut. And I'm here today with my good friend, Laura Evans, who is a Second Amendment advocate. And she serves on the advisory board for the DC Project as well. And we are coming at you guys live from the Well-Armed Woman Chapter Leadership Conference. And we have a bunch of women that are Second Amendment supporters that love shooting sports that are all gathered here from all walks of life. And Laura, as passionate as you are about the Second Amendment, you didn't grow up celebrating guns in your household. Nope, not so much. Not so much. I was raised to fear them and to abhor them and to, you know, believe that love is the way, you know, love is the answer. If you love enough, we can get rid of all the guns and hug each other and be (laughs) touchy-feely. Yeah, well, um, and then something changed in your life. And then I turned to, you know, the dark side. (laughs) I took a job working in the industry doing marketing and public relations and realized through that time that the perceptions that I had about uh, guns were all completely incorrect. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The thoughts and the preconceived ideas I had about people who were gun owners were not true. Um, and I really started to embrace the gun culture and the people, uh, and realized that everything that I had been raised to understand about that was wrong and and ignorant and misinformed. Um, so believe it or not, I'm a second amendment advocate now. (laughs) A huge second amendment advocate. And, you know, when you entered the firearms industry, you're coming from a perspective of learning as a child, learning through school, learning through the media. You know, what were some of the major fallacies that you felt that you had learned that weren't true at all? I was convinced that really the only people that owned firearms were bearded men with pot bellies and wife beaters and sawed off shotguns in the back of their pickup trucks. <laughs> it's a very vivid picture. Right? Looks just like me. Exactly. <laughs> so I totally relate with that description. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I just, I thought it was either people like that or criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, and criminals don't necessarily have a particular look about them. They're mm-hmm. just the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really, by embracing the 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 industry first before actually even learning how to shoot, um, understanding what made up the industry, how how it works in terms of, you know, sales, distribution, marketing. Um, So you came from it like this logistical standpoint, like, okay, I'm going to look at this bird's eye view. We're going to manage this. We're going to go full CEO. Well, I don't know about that. I was pretty much full, you know, marketing public relations. So I I dove into learning as much as I could about the media and, uh, that side of, of the industry. And the people were just great. And I remember going to my first SHOT Show 
and being completely overwhelmed and mm-hmm. sore feet and nightmares, though, the whole we thing. We all have sore feet at SHOT Show. But the second year, I felt like, wow, these people remember me and I know them and they're my friends. And now, whatever, 14 years later, mm-hmm. it's a family reunion when I see folks in the industry. And it isn't just the media. It's, it's everyone. So uh, I've worked in a number of different industries in my career, and this by far is... Um, the most compelling in terms of how people have kind of a heritage and a mm-hmm. legacy of a lifestyle that they share, both with their families and kind of throughout their whole being. Um, you know, they either they hunt or they shoot or they, they're self-sufficient or, mm-hmm. um, and I know some of those things are kind of stereotypical of, of gun ownership in general, but I really found that the more I got to know the people, the more I aspired to be like them. Yeah. And the more I learned to from them about my own profession. And uh, so when given the choice to go out on my own and create my own business, I could have gone and worked PR for, you know, the automotive industry or healthcare or tech or whatever, but I chose the firearms industry and I'm sticking to it. So what, was there a person perhaps that was a significant influence in that switch that went off where you went from that moment of guns are scary to like, okay, logistically, I get these, all these people aren't bad, but was there somebody that really kind of gave you that defining experience or, or insight? So on the professional side, I had two really remarkable men who I met my first SHOT show and I didn't have a clue who either one of them were. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sort of laughable now. The first one is Russ Thurman, Mm -hmm. who was the editor at um, FMG Publications Shooting Industry Magazine an industry legend, um, just a kind, uh, he took me under his wing, taught me a lot of things, kind of explained to me how things worked. And the second was Tom Gresham, mm-hmm. did the same thing. And, you know, after a few years and I finally recognized how important they are in our industry and just how kind of legendary they are in their own right, I thought, well, you know, they didn't know me from, from Joe. And, and they welcomed you with open arms. Totally and completely. So that was sort of my introduction. Um, in terms of shooting, I worked for an air gun company. So I That's was where really, we met. Yeah. And I was really fortunate that some of my very first shooting experiences were with air guns. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wasn't no afraid recoil. of the recoil or the noise. Quiet. You know, they didn't have bullets. They had little, little pellets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was, that was fun. Um, because shooting is fun. It's so fun. Uh, I would say in terms of the person, um, there was a gentleman there. His name is Mark DeBoard. I think he might still be, be there at that company. But um, we did an event together, a Boy Scout event, where he had, uh, we had a mobile range and we took the truck out and we allowed kids and adults, whomever, to come up and use these semi-auto um, air rifles to shoot uh, speed targets, mm-hmm. like speed shooting. I think it was a 12-round, 17-caliber air gun. Um, five targets, you shoot them down as fast as you can. Well, <laughs> I didn't want to, I was like, this is my, do I have to let other people yeah. shoot this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me that tin yeah. of pellets. I want to shoot them all. It was super fun. And he was just a great teacher and he made me feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, it went on to, you know, doing range day at SHOT Show and mm-hmm. having the opportunity to leave our little range and go try out some of the real firearms, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. was just, you know, phenomenal. So again, I've always been fortunate um, in that the people who've introduced me to different things have never made me feel like, you know, 
you're an, an idiot because you don't understand this. Um, Everybody's welcomed you in with open arms and wanted yeah. to teach you. And um, you've even gone so far as like you ROed a long range rifle match. <laughs> like you, you I did. Have, you and have I got a into full it. immersion. In this. And I got into I, it, it was with a guy awesome. too. Yeah. He tried to, he tried to argue with me about whether or not he had impact and I was not backing down because he did not hit that target. Uh, <laughs> you held your guts. You're like, no man, sorry, right. you missed. <laughs> yeah. You can blame the wind or whatever you not want, but impact. it was not a hit. <laughs> <laughs> but so you went like completely full circle. It's really incredible because I've, I knew you from the time you were at the air gun company and I feel like I've watched you through this journey. I've seen you at NRI Women's Leadership events. I had no idea that you did not come from a gun background because you seem so comfortable with the culture. You embrace the culture. You embrace and support women in this culture. And the fact that, you know, we have the right to be our own first responders. And I think it really goes a lot to show, like, we're all here at the Well-Armed Woman. Um, This conference specifically has chapter leaders from around the country that can come here either in person or virtually, and they get to be put in front of a lot of different instructors, um, educating us for different components from situational awareness to, you know, holsters and techniques, and it's incredible training. But then they take that back to their communities and empower other women in their communities. And I think your perspective hits home to the importance of the women being here because we are able to go out and and find other women that might be young women that want to learn how to shoot, uh, middle-aged women that want to learn how to shoot, elderly women that for the first time want to learn how to shoot. And it's really impactful that you don't have to grow up with this to embrace this culture and be welcomed in with 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 open arms. Yeah, I, I I haven't found a group or a community of people who are as welcoming mm-hmm. as the gun culture crowd is. Uh, you know, from people who work at a range to the women that you meet at a at a chapter meeting mm-hmm. for the Well Armed Woman or at uh, one of the NRA Women events, mm-hmm. um, and in in particular, a lot of the events that the DC Project does. We so stop right there. Yeah. DC Project. Explain to our listeners if they've never heard of DC Project. It's such an incredible opportunity for people to get involved and have a voice in Washington, D.C. from every state across the country. And this is truly grassroots activism. Yep. It doesn't come more grassroots than this girl unless, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it just, this is, this is the heart and soul of uh, the patriots of America, yeah, the we're, freedom fighters. We're volunteers. Yes. We're, we're definitely grassroots. Yeah. So the DC project began as uh, 50 women, one from every state visiting Washington, DC to meet with Congress people and senators and just share with them the face of the second amendment from a female perspective to let them see what, what women gun owners look like, what we sound like to show them our diversity whether it be diversity in age or um, socioeconomic diversity or our race, you know, whatever. Um, Just so that they could get past that notion that I grew up with of what gun owners look like and what they sound like and how they behave and why do they want to to have their Second Amendment rights 
available to them. So we visit, we set up meetings with the lawmakers in advance, Mm -hmm. and we go in little groups of four to five women to each of the meetings. Uh, We dress professionally. We don't put on our mom's demand action type red shirts and go in with signs and protest and and bully and, and boast. We we behave very professionally and we sit down and we have face-to-face conversations with them and we explain to them um, as individuals, uh, this is why the Second Amendment is important to me. And my reasons are completely different from the reasons that the other women who are in my group are there for. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of cases, we, we, we see the light bulb moment go off with some of these lawmakers. And if we don't meet with them directly, we get to meet with our staffers. Um, and in some cases, it's like, you know, did you understand that there's an unintended consequence to the um, Violence Against Women Act because it has a component of the red flag laws? And they don't. And so when you describe it to them face-to-face from the perspective of someone that it may have had a direct impact on, it really makes a difference, uh, and it really shines a light on some of the things that they're ignorant about. So stop there. The red flag laws, a lot of people don't know what a red flag law is, and red flag law is removing someone's firearm without due process. Correct. And so, for example, um, let's just say I um, I am married, and my husband and I are in the in the midst of getting a divorce, And he's abusive toward me and I have a firearm and I want to keep that to protect myself from him or whatever else. And he decides that he doesn't want me to have my firearm anymore so he can go to his local authority and report me and they will come and with with no due process at all, remove my firearm from me. And then the burden of proof is on me Mm -hmm. to hire an attorney and go through all the hoops that you have to go through. And expense. And expense. And and not only that, but... To get my weapon back, my firearm back. In the meantime, you're rendered helpless... Completely. ...by these laws. And and if you are in a situation where you are afraid, you have no way to be your own first line of defense during this process. So you're guilty instead of innocent until proven guilty. So it removes the due process component. Now, there are laws on the books, for example, the Baker Act, which is currently standing as an act that is on the books where you can have the same situation if you feel that somebody should not have a firearm, where you bring it to the correct people's attention and they go through a due process. Which includes, I believe, a psychological exam. It does include a psychological exam. And then at that point, um, they're given an opportunity to refute the situation and and have that their day in court, if you will, before they're disarmed. So, so your point there is that we already have a law on the books that's effective that covers that. That's exactly right. So, why do we need to have another law that that takes it even further? Well, it's because it's a soundbite. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's it's political activism, and it's it's just them saying, you know, let me toot my own horn and. And go all anti-gun because I'm gonna I'm gonna earn votes by this, or mm-hmm. I'm gonna be on television because this is my stance. When they, you know, in in a lot of cases, just fail to recognize mm-hmm. uh, what the what the effects, you know, as they trickle down, how mm-hmm. they're gonna really um, have a negative impact on people's daily lives. Mm-hmm. So, DC Project, you know, this is one of the components of Second Amendment 
legislation issues that you're bringing to each state. And what, what's fantastic about what you're doing is each individual state has an opportunity to go to their lawmakers and voice their opinions on laws that are potentially going to be affecting them or are yeah. currently affecting them. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you a true voice where a lot of times I think we all feel really powerless and you, we hear it all the time. Oh, write, write a letter, write an email. Well, there's not enough of us doing that. And there's even fewer of us that are showing up yeah. in their office with our foot in the literal door. Well, and that's kind of one of the things, you know, when we travel to DC and and now with within our own state capitals and locally as well, in addition to just having these face-to-face meetings and describing our um, experiences with with firearms and why the Second Amendment is important to us, we also offer ourselves as a resource. We want mm-hmm. a, we want a long-term relationship with these policymakers. We want them to depend upon us for information or questions. What you know, a lot of them have never even held a gun, mm-hmm. so it's it's almost you know kind of how dare you tell mm-hmm. me how to live my life and and act as if you know everything about a firearm when you've never even held one or or fired around you you don't you don't know so uh, we don't go into it in an adversarial way even with and particularly with the people who are not friendly to the second amendment and those are really the folks that we want to meet with mm-hmm. um not just in DC but everywhere we just we want to talk to the people who are staunchly anti-gun and explain to them uh, because once once you do that, and once you talk to them human to human instead of um, issue to issue, and you can explain your real world life experience, uh, it really does it really does open eyes, and people scratch their head a little bit and start to question things and wonder if maybe all the um, perceptions that they had were were correct. So as a result of building those relationships over time, uh, what that has done for us, and it was something that we had hoped that it would do, is it's brought us invitations to speak and testify, both in Congress and in the Senate. Um, we've had numerous um, people in our organization testify um, in Congress. We've had a number of them testify in Senate hearings with the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and across the, the country, at state level, we've had a lot of different women, um, not always our state leaders, but we call them delegates. If you're not a state leader, you're a delegate. And there are thousands of them across the country who, you know, will go and they've got relationships with their lawmakers. And and they say, you know, there's a hearing coming up on such and such a bill and I'd like to speak about it. And they get their two or three minutes to talk and hopefully make an impact. Um, so there's that sort of political um, Second Amendment Uh, advocacy side of what we do. But really, we're built on three pillars, education, preservation, and advocacy. So the education part is, yeah, let's educate the lawmakers, but let's also educate everybody else. And not just the people, but let's let's make sure that that people, particularly like the the women here, this is uh, the well-armed woman. Mm -hmm. So obviously, we all we're well have armed. An, have an affinity towards <laughs> towards guns, right? Yeah. But you know, without the Second Amendment, this doesn't exist. No. Um, the whole industry doesn't exist. Uh, you know, jobs, billions of dollars um, in revenue generated in this country within the industry. So, you know, if if we can't pass that along and encourage other people to learn how to advocate then we're not leaving um, a legacy for the people who come after us. So that's that education part 
I mean, it all, everything kind of flows back up, the, the preservation and the advocacy, it all flows back up into the education because mm-hmm. without it, we, we're, we're stagnant. And there's a lot of people that don't understand the good that guns are doing specifically in the environmental discussion or debate. Um, and that's, that's a huge education point where, you know, firearms manufacturers pay a self-imposed tax and that goes straight into what they call Pittman-Robertson funds and it's PR dollars and that money goes to conservation efforts throughout the nation. It literally, since the mid-1930s when that act was founded, it has funded conservation in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's not a, don't there's the not connection. a greater resource for that. Yeah. I mean, it is the number one resource. So ammunition, firearms, um, archery equipment. Then there's the Dingell Johnson Act, which is similar, but on the fishing side. And so we have sportsmen um, that like to hunt. That's great. We're we're contributing to conservation in that point um, by buying firearms. But people that just like to go out in their backyard and plink are really the number one funder. To conservation and have have built the platform of success and the model of conservation. So there's so much that goes into firearms, not just from that personal protection mm-hmm. standpoint, or I like to go hunting, or I want to shoot because it's fun. But let's talk about you know the environmental impact, the stewardship that comes from this, and that's what's it's compelling tremendous. about the women that are part of the DC project because we all really do have such different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got. Um, We've got people who've been on the cover of Field and Stream magazine yeah. because they're, you know, amazing women, class hunters. Mia. Yes, Mia. <laughs> we love um, you. We've got transgender people. Mm-hmm. We've got um, every race that you can can think of. We've got liberals. We've mm-hmm. got libertarians. Mm-hmm. We're non-political. We're non-partisan. We're not lobbyists. Um, we're we're educators, and we should be because we should be non-partisan. We should be. Um, accepting of everyone and welcoming of everyone because the the most basic inalienable human right is the right to self-defense mm-hmm. and the right to life is number one. No one has the right to take your life. I don't care who you are, what color you are, what you do. You have the right to live and you have not only the right to life, but liberty and pursuit of happiness. And right now in our country, we're seeing all three are are dangling in front of us. Um, our liberties are dangling in front of us. The right to life is dangling in front of us. And, you know, and, and that affects our pursuit of happiness, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're very strong pillars for a reason. Yeah. And you guys are, you're literally on the front lines trying to pr- protect those things, which go into the pres- preservation mm-hmm. aspect of the DC project. Yeah. So it's, it's, again, kind of funnels into education, but without that education, then the preservation and the legacy of what came before us and what's going to come after us, just it just ends. Um, interestingly enough, you know, after a few years of success in Washington, we, we've grown and now we have state chapters and state leaders across the whole country, uh, and we have regional directors. Um, and so now... In addition to just what we do in D.C. with the 50 women, we have thousands of women who are doing the same thing in their state capitals. Mm-hmm. And um, and it isn't, you don't even have to have these conversations with, um, you know, elected officials. Um, you, can, you can do things like, you know, we'll help you write a letter to your senator or write a letter to the editor of your local newspaper or 
Your school board. Put a post on Facebook, your school board, exactly. And we're really um, kind of entering into a different phase of the organization where the education part from, from our side is we're working to teach women how to position themselves to run for office Mm -hmm. or to take a public position like on a school board and things like that because we need the voices who are in support of the Second Amendment to be everywhere they're not right now. <laughs> what I don't like about people that are um, often anti-gun is is they think that we're not capable. And what I mean by that is, well, you can't have a firearm. Why? Well, this guy is armed and, well, yeah, he's my guard. He's trained. We are capable of being trained. We are capable and we are qualified to be our own first line of defense. And just because you are an elite that can afford to hire a man that's capable with a gun and you don't have to be that person yourself doesn't mean that's an option for everyone like us. Mm -hmm. And so they underestimate the capability and I believe that they also underestimate the level of intelligence that we have by thinking that we're not going to fight for that right. And that is, you know, it's so maddening to me because the women in this room are all capable. Oh, yeah. And we're all capable of going home and being that leader, reaching out to someone like you that maybe doesn't believe in guns, thinks they're unsafe, thinks that only bad people have them. And and then they approach them with an educated, capable, understanding heart, and they can transform their perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, for us, our stories are are what's compelling. You know, when we start throwing statistics around... um, People tune out. They tune out and they... You know, they're, they may be true, they may be skewed, whatever. Who's but, doing the survey and yeah, who's but paying does for it the matter? research? Like when someone throws a, a survey out about how many people have used um, guns in the defense of themselves or others mm-hmm. versus how many gun deaths there are every year. No, nobody cares about that. But even if you met somebody that was completely politically op- in, in opposition to you and you had a conversation with them about this is my experience... They can't take that away from you. Mm-hmm. They can't take away your feelings about what happened to you and why your gun was important to you. They can't they can't change that. And it's really those kinds of one-on-one conversations that is why we really want to grow, why we want to bring more women in, we want more delegates. And somebody was asking me earlier today, well, you know, how can I get involved? And I said, well, it's really based on what you're comfortable with. Um I mean, I was just invited to go to D.C. the first year, and it's now turned into I'm on the advisory board. Mm-hmm. I didn't and imagine that I would become as vocal a Second Amendment advocate as I have become, but it can be anything from simply, you know, having a conversation with your neighbor or the mailman, mm-hmm. um, or it can be, yeah, you know, I'm going to set up an appointment and I'm going to go see my my uh, state assemblyman and I'm going to... Um, send a letter to the editor. I'm going to write an opinion piece and see if I can get that published. Um, I'm going to try to gather a bunch of women up or I'm going to go back to my well-armed women chapter and I'm going to tell them all about Second Amendment advocacy. Uh, it's it's kind of what your comfort level is. You know, I met a woman and she said, I'm, I'm really shy. I'm not sure I could go and have a meeting with, with a lawmaker. That's fine. You can write a letter. That's what I said. Or you can, you can call their office. Yeah. Um, you know, so those are some of the things that we're really trying to work hard to provide as resources, kind of a, a library of resources for people so that 
they can just fit in their advocacy wherever it works for them. That is one thing I think um, that a lot of us often forget is to embrace our own uniqueness. And we tend to want to compare somebody else's strengths to what they feel they aren't strong at necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, well, she's, do, you know, she's got this, I can't ever be that. Well, you don't need to be that because God created us unique. Yeah, because I'm never going to be Christy Titus. Well... <laughs> No, I, there's only one of me. But I mean, God created us unique. But you wouldn't be as special as you are if you and I weren't so different. We aren't really that different, though. Yeah. Well, Not really. Mm. Um, so what's great, God created us unique in that in that we each bring something you, different, a different perspective, that different, you know, sometimes... The things you look at, what, what is this saying? The things you look at don't change, but the way you look at things change. Yeah. You know, this week has been a heavy week for all of us. Your son is in the military. And this week, um, we've lost 13 servicemen in Afghanistan. And there are people there right now that um, are relying on the government to protect them. Or they're relying on terrorists to spare them, I should say. Um, And we're here in America and we are looking at certain groups of people that want to take away the right that has been stripped from others as we watch them get slaughtered. Mm -hmm. And there is no better reason in my mind to own a gun than to for nothing else, be your own first line of defense because I can guarantee you there's people in Afghanistan right now that are praying to God that they had a gun. Yeah, because they they may have trusted their government. Um, they may have trusted the fact that they, they did own firearms and now the Taliban is coming in there and taking them and from seizing them. them. Um, yeah, there's, there's no better equalizer. We know this. Uh, and now that we're in the position of seeing what's happened, um, It feels like just for a political soundbite, just to buy votes, just to say, you know, let's get out of the war Mm because it's what you're supposed to say. Let's take everybody's guns. It's politically correct, you know. This Um, utopianism of... It's not not right. Um, And it's also, you know, I've been feeling the last few days like, you know, pay attention. Don't just flip on your TV and pretend like this doesn't affect you. It does. Because, you know, you don't know that it's not your neighbor's grandson that was over there that is going to be coming home in a body bag. You don't know that it's a friend of your son's or daughter's. You don't know. You can't say it doesn't affect you. You also don't know where these people are going and, and they're, they're coming into our country. And do we, do we have any indication of, of how safe it's going to be when they're here? We, we don't. Mm-hmm. So how do we protect ourselves from those threats if, if we're stripped of our rights? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we're also, we're all here is we're active. We're activists. We want to ensure that we don't have that elite mentality that protection is only for the rich. Well, and you and I talked a little bit before about um, just being willing to speak up mm-hmm. and uh I have been feeling in particular in the last couple of months, I think even after, you know, COVID, we had the big, everything was shut down and everybody kind of caved and was like, okay, you know, I'll stay home. I won't go anywhere. I'll order my groceries online. Uh, And it feels like that's creeping back toward us. Mm -hmm. And when you see what's going on in countries like Australia and New Zealand with um, how they had their gun rights removed, and now they're fighting with their government about 
basic freedoms. Mm -hmm. They're not even allowed to leave the house to go exercise or go to the grocery store. I mean, do we really think that that can't happen here? Mm -hmm. And are we all going to just sit here and let it happen? Or are we going to speak up? And that's what advocacy is about. You you choose, for lack of a better term, you you choose the hill you're going to die on. Pick it. And just don't stop being so passive. (laughs) There is a lot of... um censorship that we're all experiencing online in the firearms industry, in the hunting industry. Um, they're wanting to to kind of squelch sometimes a conservative opinion or, or faith-based opinions. We're, it's, it's censorship. It's real. I mean, our own 45th president still is not allowed a Twitter account. And, but the Taliban but is. But the Taliban is. So we, we know that censorship is real which is put upon us as users of these devices and these social networking sites. But the worst part of what's going on right now is the self-censorship that we're all doing. And we're afraid to say, look, I own a gun. Because your neighbor or your parents or the people in your sphere of influence don't support that decision. And there are people that live in this shame that they are choosing a different way or they believe a different way. And I and I really think it's sad um, when we have to hang our head in shame, why are we ashamed? We have nothing to be ashamed of. Well, and the flip side of that is why are we judging? You yeah. know, I mean, well, I remember as a, as a, you know, kid growing up and occasionally seeing people's political signs like in their yards. And yeah. I didn't care then, you know, during this last election cycle, as you know, you, you drive around your community and you see, um, you know, the signs popped in someone's front yard or at the street corner or whatever. Um, And I do the same thing. So I'm I'm not being hypocritical here because I'm admitting to my fallacy, but I drive by somebody's house and think to myself, wow, I didn't didn't know that they were, you know. Whoever supporters. Yeah. Which then equates in my mind to, well, then that means automatically then they want to defund the police or they want, the new green deal or, you know, whatever else. And that's not fair. So I'm not saying that I'm innocent of behaving that way, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to stop it because I have to stop it with myself. I can't blame other people for behaving that way if I can't improve that on my own. But what we can do is become advocates and educate to help preserve and do it in a way that brings honor to the people that have fought for our freedom and died for it that are still fighting for it and dying for it because that's happening. You know, we, we need to honor the sacrifice that has been made for us to have the freedoms that we have life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Those are three foundations. Um, Second amendment helps protect our life. We right now are in a fight for liberty. How are we going to react to that? What are we going to do? Um, How are we going to educate people what liberty is? You know, choices are individualized and having the liberty to make choice for what's best for you. I shouldn't have to force my will on you and you, your will on me. That's, that equates to, if we have life, we have liberty. We have that opportunity for the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. That's what freedom is all about. That's exactly right. And, um, I love that um, that you're fighting for that and the DC Project is fighting for that. And, you know, if you guys are out there and you're looking for a way uh, to get involved, I, I encourage you, don't 
have that mindset of, well, I'm only one person. Mm -hmm. What can I really do? Does my vote really count? (laughs) Does this letter really matter? Does the phone call really matter? It matters because when we work as a collective together, we have to become louder than our adversaries. And right now, There's a lot of people that are very anti-Second Amendment. There's a lot of people that are very anti-liberty, anti-freedom. And we have to be the freedom fighters and the advocates that are out there educating and encouraging people to have that voice, even if your voice is quiet. Yeah, you don't have to speak. Don't be afraid to use it. You can write. (laughs) That's right. There's a place for everyone to become an advocate in your home. It starts in your home. It really does. Mm -hmm. It starts with your family relations, your children, getting involved with your kids' education. Right now, I don't think there is a more important time in the history of school systems for you to understand on a day-to-day basis what your kids are ingesting Mm -hmm. into their brains, um, the thought processes that are being um, computed into them. Well, I mean, you know, for a couple of decades, I think that our our kids, particularly in public school systems, have been, um, I don't want to really say indoctrinated, but they've been taught how to become um, activists themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it started with the, um, you know, conservation Mm -hmm. type things like, you know, oh, save water and Mm -hmm. don't use plastics and, you know, those types of things. Uh, And it's kind of evolved into the whole, uh, you know, climate change Mm -hmm. conversation. So it isn't as if children don't know how to do that. Um, It's just the education side of teach them why some of these other things are as important as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, climate change isn't going to matter if the government takes everything over and we (laughs) don't have the freedom to make any choices of our own. I mean, look at the people in Afghanistan right now. They're desperate. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't matter to them if it's hot or cold or there's going to be a global flood. They're day-to-day existing to survive from one minute to the next. Which is a different mindset. We're we're very blessed here in this country um, to not have to live in terror. Um, which is exactly what there are people in many countries, not just Afghanistan, that live in absolute terror. And we are very fortunate for that. Um, so, so being that advocate at home, educating at home, starting with your kids, your school board, your family, um, reaching out to people, using your social media platforms to be an advocate, using your voice, getting involved with projects like the DC Project, starting your own activist organization, be your own leader. I mean, we have all these great kids programs like 4-H, FFA, and we're great at doing activist programs for our kids. But where is everybody in activism for freedom? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all about doing stuff for, as, as mothers... I'm not a mother, but as a lot of mothers, you want to be that activist for your child to be the most successful. Well, what about for our country to be the most successful? Yeah. So you, you know, I raised my children in such a way that they would leave home and be independent. Now I'm an empty nester and I'm sort of sad that they're gone and I wish that they would come home and give me grandbabies and we're not quite ready for that yet, but... 
you know, that that's my legacy that I mm-hmm. built them into two human beings that are um, productive people who are serving um, and independent and can think for themselves. And that's kind of what I would like to see for the country. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like if we're so comfortable continuing to take things that make our lives easier because it's the, it's the easy way. Is it doesn't right. make it the right way. Well, and you don't feel pride in that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't earned it, you don't feel good about it. You just, you're, you're apathetic. Um, well, when you don't earn something, you don't appreciate something. Right. To the same level as if you've earned something. Exactly. Um, and there's a lot of pride in, in that. And, um, you know, we are at a point in life right now where we have to start earning our freedom. Mm-hmm. Because of... Well, I think we need to start fighting for it. Yeah. And yeah. fighting oh, and that's what I mean by earning it. Yeah, like fighting doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we're not punching each other. The capital. No, we're right? we're talking about nonviolent educating, go into battle with with against <laughs> school boards that have bad policies, against well, leg- lawmakers anybody. that have bad policies. Talking it could to be your, your neighbors association, you exactly. know. I mean <laughs> it, at this point it kind of doesn't matter. It's just you you we have a voice. Mm-hmm. We still have a voice. Well, we don't know how long that's going to mm-hmm. last, but as long as we do, we need to start using it. Get off the couch. Get off the couch. That's a great way to end this too, actually. So how does everybody contact and reach the DC Project and um, get involved? Yeah. DCproject.info is our website. And we have some resources there um, that, that are free to people. Um, you can uh, subscribe to our newsletter, which we try to get out as often as maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you join, um, you'll receive an email from your state state director, and they'll kind of take you through it. And you can choose what what level of involvement you want. You might just want to get the newsletter, and that's mm-hmm. it. That's fine. Um, we're glad to have you get the newsletter. Yeah. Just even, in, you know, learn something new every day. Well, Be open-minded. You know, share it. So that we can grow. That's um, right. And we have to fundraise. I mean, we're up against groups like Everytown for Gun Safety and Moms Demand Action, which have a $60 million operating budget. Um, that's hard to compete against. Mm-hmm. And they have their red shirts that are at every single... Um, political uh, event or hearing that has anything to do with with guns and firearms, they're always there. They're well represented. They're a well oiled, greased machine. You know, they they get it, and that's what we're up against. So, fundraising is really crucial for us. So, we're always looking for people to join us that are uh, good at good at fundraising because. You know, that's what gets it done. That's right. If you guys want to learn more, please visit the DC Project website. You can also go, they have an Instagram um, page and uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd love to have you guys get more involved. And thank you for joining us. Thank you, Christy. On this episode of Wild and Uncut, we're live from the Well-Armed Woman Chapter Leadership Conference. And we're here to inspire, ignite, and liberate the world. Always keep us all free. Works for me. Yeah, sounds good, huh? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Wild and Uncut podcast. If you would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to my Pursue the Wild digital series on YouTube and follow me at Christy Titus on Facebook and Instagram. 